Chapter forty four of the Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Further continuation of the enterprise of Mr. Jonas and his friend. It was a special quality among the many admirable qualities possessed by Mr. Pecksniff that the more he was found out, the more hypocrisy he practised. Let him be discomfited in one quarter, and he refreshed and recompensed himself by carrying the war into another. If his workings and windings were detected by A, so much the greater reason was there for practising without loss of time on B, if it were only to keep his hand in. He had never been such a saintly and improving spectacle to all about him as after his detection by Thomas Pinch. He had scarcely ever been at once so tender in his humanity and so dignified and exalted in his virtue, as when young Martin's scorn was fresh and hot upon him. Having this large stock of superfluous sentiment and morality on hand, which must positively be cleared off at any sacrifice, Mr. Pecksniff no sooner heard his son-in-law announced than he regarded him as a kind of wholesale or general order, to be immediately executed, descending therefore swiftly to the parlour, and clasping the young man in his arms, he exclaimed with looks and gestures that denoted the perturbation of his spirit, "'Jonas, my child, she is well. There is nothing the matter.' "'What, you're at it again, are you?' replied his son-in-law. "'Even with me. Get away with you, will you?' "'Tell me she is well, then,' said Mr. Pecksniff. "'Tell me she is well, my boy.' "'She's well enough,' retorted Jonas, disengaging himself. "'There's nothing the matter with her.' "'There's nothing the matter with her,' cried Mr. Pecksniff, sitting down in the nearest chair and rubbing up his hair. "'Fie upon my weakness! I cannot help it, Jonas. Thank you. I am better now. "'How is my other child, my eldest, my cherry-wherry Chigo?' said Mr. Pecksniff, inventing a playful little name for her, in the restored lightness of his heart. "'She's much about the same as usual,' returned Jonas. "'She sticks pretty close to the vinegar bottle.' You know she's got a sweetheart, I suppose. I have heard of it, said Mr. Pecksniff, from headquarters, from my child herself. I will not deny that it moved me to contemplate the loss of my remaining daughter. Jonas, I am afraid we parents are selfish. I am afraid we are. But it has ever been the study of my life to qualify them for the domestic hearth, and it is a sphere which Cherry will adorn. She need adorn some sphere or other, observed his son-in-law. For she ain't very ornamental in general. My girls are now provided for, said Mr. Pecksniff. They are now happily provided for, and I have not laboured in vain. This is exactly what Mr. Pecksniff would have said if one of his daughters had drawn a prize of thirty thousand pounds in the lottery, or if the other had picked up a valuable purse in the street, which nobody appeared to claim. In either of these cases he would have invoked a patriarchal blessing on the fortunate head with great solemnity, and would have taken immense credit to himself, as having meant it from the infant's cradle. "'Suppose we talk about something else now,' observed Jonas dryly, "'just for a change. Are you quite agreeable?' "'Quite,' said Mr. Pecksniff. "'Ah, you wag, you naughty wag. You laugh at poor old fond papa. Well, he deserves it, and he don't mind it either, for his feelings are their own reward. You have come to stay with me, Jonas?' "'No, I've got a friend with me,' said Jonas. "'Bring your friend,' cried Mr. Pecksniff, in a gush of hospitality. "'Bring any number of your friends.' 
"'This ain't the sort of man to be brought,' said Jonas contemptuously. "'I think I see myself bringing him to your house for a treat. "'Thank you all the same, but he's a little too near the top of the tree for that, Pecksniff.' The good man pricked up his ears. His interest was awakened. A position near the top of the tree was greatness, virtue, goodness, sense, genius, or, it should rather be said, a dispensation from them all and in itself something immeasurably better than all with mr pecksniff a man who was able to look down upon mr pecksniff could not be looked up at by that gentleman with too great an amount of deference or from a position of too much humility so it always is with great spirits i'll tell you what you may do if you like said jonas you may come and dine with us at the dragon we were forced to come down to salisbury last night on some business and i got him to bring me over here this morning in his carriage well, at least not his own carriage, for we had a breakdown in the night, but one we hired instead. It's all the same. Mind what you're about, you know. He's not used to all sorts. He only mixes with the best. Some young nobleman who has been borrowing money off you at a good interest, eh? said Mr. Pecksniff, shaking his forefinger facetiously. I shall be delighted to know the gay sprig. Borrowing, echoed Jonas. Borrowing? When you're a twentieth part as rich as he is, you may shut up shop. We should be pretty well off if we could buy his furniture and plate and pictures by clubbing together. A likely man to borrow, Mr. Montague. Why, since I was lucky enough, come, and I'll say sharp enough too, to get a share in the assurance office that he's president of, I've made... Well, never mind, I've made, said Jonas, seeming to recover all at once his usual caution. You know me pretty well, and I don't blab about such things, but a cod I've made a trifle really my dear jonas cried mr pecksniff with much warmth a gentleman like this should receive some attention would he like to see the church or if he has a taste for the fine arts which i have no doubt he has from the description you give of his circumstances i can send him down a few portfolios salisbury cathedral my dear jonas said mr pecksniff the mention of the portfolios and his anxiety to display himself to advantage suggesting his usual phraseology in that regard is an edifice replete with venerable associations and strikingly suggestive of the loftiest emotions it is here we contemplate the work of bygone ages it is here we listen to the swelling organ as we stroll through the reverberating aisles we have drawings of this celebrated structure from the north from the south from the east from the west from the southeast from the northwest during this digression and indeed during the whole dialogue jonas had been rocking on his chair with his hands in his pockets and his head thrown cunningly to one side he looked at mr pecksniff now with such shrewd meaning and twinkling in his eyes that mr pecksniff stopped and asked him what he was going to say ecod he answered pecksniff if i knew how you meant to leave your money i could put you in the way of doubling it in no time it wouldn't be bad to keep a chance like this snug in the family but you're such a deep one jonas cried mr pecksniff much affected i am not a diplomatical character my heart is in my hand by far the greater part of the inconsiderable savings i have accumulated in the course of i hope a not dishonourable or useless career is already given devised and bequeathed correct me my dear jonas if i am technically wrong with expressions of confidence which i will not repeat and insecurities which it is unnecessary to mention to a person whom I cannot, whom I will not, whom I need not name. 
here he gave the hand of his son-in-law a fervent squeeze as if he would have added god bless you be very careful of it when you get it mr jonas only shook his head and laughed and seeming to think better of what he had in his mind said no he would keep his own counsel but as he observed that he would take a walk mr pecksniff insisted on accompanying him remarking that he could leave a card for mr montague as they went along by way of gentleman usher to himself at dinner-time which he did in the course of their walk mr jonas affected to maintain that close reserve which operated as a timely check upon him during the foregoing dialogue and as he made no attempt to conciliate mr pecksniff but on the contrary was more boorish and rude to him than usual that gentleman so far from suspecting his real design laid himself out to be attacked with advantage for it is in the nature of a knave to think the tools with which he works indispensable to knavery and knowing what he would do himself in such a case mr pecksniff argued if this young man wanted anything of me for his own ends he would be polite and deferential the more jonas repelled him in his hints and inquiries the more solicitous therefore mr pecksniff became to be initiated into the golden mysteries at which he had obscurely glanced why should there be cold and worldly secrets he observed between relations what was life without confidence if the chosen husband of his daughter the man to whom he had delivered her with so much pride and hope such bounding and such beaming joy if he were not a green spot in the barren waste of life where was that oasis to be bound little did mr pecksniff think on what a very green spot he had planted one foot at that moment little did he foresee when he said all is but dust how very shortly he would come down with his own inch by inch in his grudging and ill-conditioned way sustained to the life for the hope of making mr pecksniff suffer in that tender place the pocket where jonas smarted so terribly himself gave him an additional and malicious interest in the wiles he was set on to practise inch by inch and bit by bit jonas rather allowing the dazzling prospects of the anglo benjali establishment to escape him than parade them before his greedy listener and in the same niggardly spirit he left mr pecksniff to infer if he choose which he did choose of course that a consciousness of not having any great natural gifts of speech and manner himself rendered him desirous to have the credit of introducing to mr montague some one who was well endowed in those respects and so atoned for his own deficiencies otherwise he muttered discontentedly that he would have seen his beloved father-in-law far enough off before he would have taken him into his confidence primed in this artful manner mr pecksniff presented himself at dinner-time in such a state of suavity benevolence cheerfulness politeness and cordiality as even he had perhaps never attained before the frankness of the country gentleman the refinement of the artist the good-humoured allowance of the man of the world philanthropy forbearance piety toleration all blended together in a flexible adaptability to anything and everything were expressed in mr pecksniff as he shook hands with the great speculator and capitalist welcome respected sir said mr pecksniff to our humble village we are a simple people primitive clods mr montague but we can appreciate the honour of your visit as my dear son-in-law can testify it is very strange said mr pecksniff pressing his hand almost reverentially but i seem to know you 
that towering forehead my dear jonas said mr pecksniff aside and those clustering masses of rich hair i must have seen you my dear sir in the sparkling throng nothing was more probable they all agreed i could have wished said mr pecksniff to have had the honour of introducing you to an elderly inmate at our house to the uncle of our friend mr chuzzlewit sir would have been proud indeed to have taken you by the hand is the gentleman here now asked montague turning deeply red he is said mr pecksniff you said nothing about that chuzzlewit i didn't suppose you'd care to hear of it returned jonas you wouldn't care to know him i can promise you jonas my dear jonas remonstrated mr pecksniff really oh, it's all very well for you to speak up for him said jonas you have nailed him you'll get a fortune by him oh is the wind in that quarter cried montague ha ha and here they all laughed especially mr pecksniff no no said that gentleman clapping his son-in-law playfully upon the shoulder you must not believe all that my young relative says mr montague you may believe him in official business and trust him in official business but you must not attach importance to his flights of fancy upon my life mr pecksniff cried montague i attach the greatest importance to that last observation of his i trust and hope it's true money cannot be turned and turned again quickly enough in the ordinary course mr pecksniff there's nothing like building our fortune on the weaknesses of mankind oh fie oh fie for shame cried mr pecksniff but they all laughed again especially mr pecksniff i'll give you my honour that we do it said montague oh fie fie cried mr pecksniff you are very pleasant that i'm sure you don't how can you you know again they all laughed in concert and again mr pecksniff laughed especially this was very agreeable indeed it was confidential easy straightforward and still left mr pecksniff in a position of being in a gentle way the mentor of the party the greatest achievements in the article of cookery that the dragon had ever performed were set before them the oldest and best wines in the dragon's cellars saw the light on that occasion a thousand bubbles indicative of the wealth and station of mr montague in the depths of his pursuits were constantly rising to the surface of the conversation and they were as frank and merry as three honest men could be mr pecksniff thought it a pity he said so that mr montague should think lightly of mankind and their weaknesses he was anxious upon this subject his mind ran upon it in one way or another he was constantly coming back to it he must make a convert of him he said and as often as mr montague repeated his sentiment about building fortunes on the weaknesses of mankind and added frankly we do it just as often as mr pecksniff repeated oh fie oh fie for shame i'm sure you don't how can you you know laying a greater stress each time on those last words the frequent repetition of this playful inquiry on the part of mr pecksniff led at last to playful answers on the part of mr montague but after some little sharpshooting on both sides mr pecksniff became grave almost to tears observing that if mr montague would give him leave he would drink the health of his young kinsman mr jonas congratulating him upon the valuable and distinguished friendship he had formed but envying him he would confess his usefulness to his fellow-creatures for if he understood the objects of that institution with which he was newly and advantageously connected knowing them but imperfectly they were calculated to do good and for his mr pecksniff's part if he could in any way promote them he thought he would be able to lay his head upon his pillow every night with an absolute certainty of going to sleep at once 
the transition from this accidental remark for it was quite accidental and had fallen for mr pecksniff in the openness of his soul to the discussion of the subject as a matter of business was easy books papers statements tables calculations of various kind were soon spread out before them and as they were all framed with one object it is not surprising they should have all tended to one end but still whenever montague enlarged upon the profits of the office and said that as long as there were gulls upon the wing it must succeed mr pecksniff mildly said oh fie and might indeed have remonstrated with him but that he knew he was joking mr pecksniff did know he was joking because he said so there never had been before and there never would be again such an opportunity for the investment of a considerable sum the rate of advantage increased in proportion to the amount invested as that at the moment the only time that had all approached it was the time when jonas had come into the concern which made him ill-natured now and inclined him to pick out doubt at this place and a flaw in that and grumbling to advise mr pecksniff to think better of it the sum which would complete the proprietorship of this snug concern was nearly equal to mr pecksniff's whole hoard not counting mr chuzzlewit that is to say whom he looked upon as money in the bank the possession of which inclined him the more to make a dash with his own private sprats for the capture of such a whale as mr montague described the returns began almost immediately and were immense the end of it was that mr pecksniff agreed to become the last partner and proprietor in the anglo-bengalee and made an appointment to dine with mr montague at salisbury on the next day but one and there to complete the negotiation it took so long to bring the subject to this head that it was nearly midnight when they parted when mr pecksniff walked downstairs to the door he found mrs lupin standing there looking out ah my good friend he said not a bed yet contemplating the stars mrs lupin it's a beautiful starlight night sir a beautiful starlight night said mr pecksniff looking up behold the planets how they shine behold the those two persons who were here this morning have they left your house i hope so mrs lupin yes sir they are gone i am glad to hear it said mr pecksniff behold the wonders of the firmament mrs lupin how glorious is the scene when i look up at those shining orbs i think that each of them is winking to the other to take notice of the vanity of men's pursuits my fellow-men cried mr pecksniff shaking his head in pity you are much mistaken my wormy relatives you are much deceived the stars are perfectly contented i suppose so in their several spheres why are not you oh do not strive and struggle to enrich yourselves or to get the better of each other my deluded friends but look up there with me mrs lupin shook her head and heaved a sigh it was very affecting look up there with me repeated mr pecksniff stretching out his hand with me a humble individual who is also an insect like yourselves can silver gold or precious stones sparkle like those constellations i think not then do not thirst for silver gold or precious stones but look up there with me with those words the good man patted mrs lupin's hand between his own as if he would have added think of this my good woman and walked away in a sort of ecstasy or rapture with his hat under his arm jonas sat in the attitude in which mr pecksniff had left him gazing moodily at his friend who surrounded by a heap of documents was writing something on an oblong slip of paper you mean to wait at salisbury over the day after to-morrow do you then said jonas 
"'You heard our appointment,' returned Montague, without raising his eyes. "'In any case, I should have waited to see after the boy.' They appeared to have changed places again, Montague being in high spirits, Jonas gloomy and lowering. "'You don't want me, I suppose,' said Jonas. "'I want you to put your name here,' he returned, glancing at him with a smile. "'As soon as I've filled up the stamp, I may well have your note of hand for that extra capital. That's all I want. If you wish to go home, I can manage Mr. Pecksniff now alone. There is a perfect understanding between us.' Jonas sat scowling at him as he wrote, in silence. When he had finished his writing, and he had dried it on the blotting-paper in his travelling-desk, he looked up and tossed the pen towards him. "'Why not a day's grace, not a day's trust, eh?' said Jonas bitterly. "'Not after the pains I have taken with tonight's work.' "'Tonight's work was a part of our bargain,' replied Montague. "'And so was this.' "'You drive a hard bargain,' said Jonas, advancing to the table. "'You know best. Give it here.' Montague gave him the paper. After pausing as if he could not make up his mind to put his name to it, Jonas dipped his pen hastily in the nearest inkstand and began to write. But he had scarcely marked the paper when he started back in panic. "'Why, what's the devil's this?' he said. "'It's bloody!' He had dipped the pen, as another moment showed, into red ink, but he attached a strange degree of importance to the mistake. He asked how it had come there, who had brought it, why it had been brought, and looked at Montague, at first as if he thought he had put a trick upon him. Even when he used a different pen and the right ink, he made some scratches on another paper first, as half believing they would turn red also. "'Black enough this time,' he said, handing the note to Montague. "'Good-bye.' "'Going now? How do you mean to get away from here?' "'I shall cross early in the morning to the high road before you are out of bed, and catch the day-coach going up. Good-bye.' "'You are in a hurry?' "'I have something to do,' said Jonas. "'Good-bye.' His friend looked after him as he went out in surprise, which gradually gave place to an air of satisfaction and relief. "'It happens all the better. It brings about what I wanted, without any difficulty. I shall travel home alone.' End of chapter 44